Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Sadak, TV voice of the Cincinnati Reds, and you're up for Late Night Reds Talk. Hey, Nick Kirby here. Welcome into a special edition of Late Night Reds Talk, part of the Believe Network, presented as always by our friends at Bet Online. Coming up in just moments, we have an exclusive interview with Reds amateur scouting director Joe Katuska. He was kind enough to give myself and Carlos Guevara a few minutes of his time to talk about the 2022 draft for the Reds and much more. We will get to that interview in just a second, but first, a quick word about our sponsor, Bet Online. Bet Online is the fastest and easiest way to wager on all your favorite sports, contests, and events with first of market odds and lines. Find reviews and news from every league, including Major League Baseball, NFL, NBA, NHL, combat sports, esports, and even golf. Bet Online continues to be the top online resource for all your sports information from live in-game betting, props, and futures. Head to BetOnline today or use your mobile device to join today and make your first bet. Use our promo code BELIEVE50, that is B-L-E-A-V-5-0, to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. BetOnline is where the game starts. And now, here is our interview with Reds Amateur Scouting Director, Joe Katuska. All right, joined now by Joe Katuska. Joe, first, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, how you came to the Reds, and what all you've done with the franchise over, I believe, the last 17 years you've uh, been with the organization uh, up until this point where you recently just got promoted? Yeah, so I figured out pretty early on in college that no one was ever going to pay me to play, but I wanted to stay in the game somehow. Uh, I was fortunate enough to get an opportunity to start with the Reds as an intern in 2005, uh, just as a summer intern. That got extended. I came back. Uh, in 06 as a full season intern and was hired as a baseball ops assistant at the end of the 06 season. Uh, then I, I spent one year in the front office working there. And in the fall of 07 was given an opportunity to scout an area, um, which I took at that point. Then it was eight years as an area scout, three as the Midwest cross checker, three as uh, assistant scouting director and national cross checker. And then just this past uh, past September, got elevated to the scouting director position. Joe, before we get into this year's draft, who are some of the players currently in the organization that you had a part in either drafting or scouting uh, that you've been really excited with their development so far? Uh, well, there are a bunch of them. Um, obviously, we're pretty proud of the guys we've gotten into the system and the, the job that development's done with them since we drafted and signed those players. Uh, as an area scout, I was fortunate enough to sign four players that made it to the major league level. All of them were senior right-handed pitchers that were pretty low bonus amounts. Uh, Nick Cristiani, Drew Hayes, Josh Smith, and Daniel Wright uh, were the four that I was the area scout for. Uh, so those are probably the ones that I'm proudest of. They're not the names that, that really ring out for uh, the fans of the, of the franchise, but just knowing the work that goes in as an area scout identifying a player and having the opportunity to sign him. That's that's really what, what you do it for. So what was the organization's like game plan coming into this year's draft? How does that We're work? We're always just trying to add impact to the organization. We start up the middle, um, up the middle players and starting pitchers is what we're looking for. Obviously, we went with uh, two high school hitters first. 
that aren't up the middle players. Uh, so it sounds funny to say it that way. Um, <laughs> we've really been prioritizing hit tools and pitchability uh, in adding players to the system. Those are the guys that we think we can develop the best and have the, the best opportunity to impact the big league team. You kind of just beat me to it, but my next question was, the philosophy within the organization has really seemed to be to bring in more athletic premium position players of late. Is that a concentrated effort? Do teams target center fielders and shortstops more because they typically have the athletic ability to move positions if needed? It is. Um, we think that starting at the middle of the diamond is where you find the biggest impact, and those players have a significantly larger margin for error. They can move off of the middle of the field if the bat's going to play at a corner. It's a lot harder to move up the defensive spectrum than it is down it. Very nice. So if you can take us through, like, what's draft day like? You know, um, like leading up to, to draft draft night, what's what's the uh, what's the mood? What's the vibe? Do y'all, you know, sit on the edge of your chair seeing who's taken, or do you kind of have an idea as before picks are actually taken? It's uh, it's one of the longest days of the year. You know, it's yeah. uh, the culmination of a couple of years effort that goes into each draft class. So we usually try to get into the office early and then have a longer break in the middle of the day because it just, it, it's incredibly long up until when the draft starts and it feels like nothing's actually happening. You've done so much work to that point and it's almost there when you can make the picks and, and have all of that work pay off. But it's just, it really drags. And then the draft actually starts and it's, uh, it's nerve wrenching. You know, you're, you're really uh, hoping that the players you're targeting get to your picks and you have an opportunity to draft those guys. But, yeah, there are a lot of conversations that go into it. We do have an idea of who teams in front of us like, but until they actually make draft picks, we don't know anything for sure. Joe, Cam Collar was listed on most draft rankings in the top ten. Uh, in fact, the Athletic actually had him as high as number two in their rankings. Did you think there was any chance that he would actually still be around at 18 uh, and if not, what do you think made him fall? We thought he probably was going to be gone well before we picked. But like I said, you never know how the draft is actually going to play out. I think Cam just had tremendous leverage in the situation as a 17-and-a-half-year-old. If he had gone on to, to college, he would have been you know, a 19-and-a-half-year-old coming out of Louisville. But obviously, we got the opportunity to go get him. So what about Cam made you want to want to go out there and get him as soon as that pick before him was taken? I'm sure y'all knew instantly you were taking him, right? Yeah, it was it was exciting in the room. High fives uh, had, going all uh, around. Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. Lots <laughs> of uh, lots of celebration there. We identified Cam a while ago. We've seen him play since I think his freshman year in high school. It's always been an extremely advanced hit tool. What he did this year, going out, reclassifying, uh, he should be a 2023 high school player and instead he went to one of the best junior colleges in the country to really compete and show who he is and then following that up with going up to the cape league where a lot of the players are three four years older than him and holding his own there we're really impressed with the hit tool uh he's a quality third baseman he's a good athlete there's a lot of projection to his overall game but it really starts with the bat for cam and that's what what our biggest interest was yeah to follow up on that real quick like, can you explain to folks real quick how difficult and how impressive it is for a 17-year-old to go play with elite college-level players in the Cape Cod League? It's He was the youngest player in the history of the Cape. The only player that we have seen take the path that he took uh, going to a junior college as early as he did so he could expedite his pro career is Bryce Harper. 
you know, that's the sort of talent level that it takes to compete at that level. And we're certainly not trying to put expectations like that on Cam. Although if you talk to Cam, his expectations are sky high for what he believes he can do. So you were just actually able to sign Collier. How big of a relief is it to officially sign your first round pick? Uh, we've seen situations in the past like like Kumar Rocker uh, where they weren't able to work a, a, a contract. Is that a huge relief for, for you guys who put in all the work to draft him? Uh, tremendous. And not just the first pick, but it's it's a nerve-wracking process. Uh, you get to draft the player, but they're obviously not in the boat until they've signed the contract. Uh, so going through the whole physical process, getting the players out to Arizona and signing them, uh, it takes a lot of coordinated effort from the medical staff, uh, from player development, from the amateur side. Uh, so a lot of people have a hand in making sure that those players actually get signed. Uh, but until until it's done, it's not done, and things can go sideways, as we've seen. Uh, so it, it's a definite relief to know that he's he's signed and he's a red now. All right, next guy I want to talk about is um, South Stewart. So talk to us a little bit about him and, and how maybe JBP is a factor, or is that even a factor on where he might play some of his home games or most of his home games? It, it might be a benefit, uh, but it's, yeah. it's not something that we really take into consideration when making the pick. There's there's so much time in between, especially for a high school player, you know, when we draft them and when we could reasonably expect them to get to the big league level, that we're just trying to go get the best players we can at each spot. Uh, Sal has a tremendous bat and power. He's a good athlete, has a basketball background, uh, strong-bodied kid that we think is going to be able to remain at third base. Another guy that we really targeted for the, the combination of hit and power. So Stewart was the comp pick for the Reds losing Nick Castellanos in free agency. It, it's starting to sound like the qualifying offer is going to be staying around at least for a little while longer. Do you have any thoughts on that? And is that something that is really valuable to a small market franchise like the Reds? I, I think those picks are very important for us. Uh, we've been able to leverage those uh, the past couple of years when we have had them uh, into adding more players from the top of the draft into our pool uh, on the player development side. Uh, so our ability to get those picks has, has been really beneficial for our whole process. Third pick this year was a uh, the catcher, Logan Tanner. Tell us a little bit about him. So Logan has a, a nice, well-rounded game. Tremendous defensive catcher with the plus-plus throwing arm. Uh, has good power at the plate and the ability to hit. Uh, he was the catcher for Team USA last summer, obviously the starting catcher for a Mississippi State team that won a national title uh, last year as well. So he brings leadership qualities to the plate. Uh, and I talked before about how this is a, a multi-year process in evaluating these players. I, I actually saw Logan play in high school as well. You know, So he's been on the radar for a long time. We're excited about the potential that he has to be a, a starting catcher for us at some point in time. Yeah, I heard uh, or I saw Johnny Bitch with a tweet saying that he was excited and he'd been tracking him as well. It's always good when Johnny's on board. Right? If Johnny you agrees, know. you're doing something right, right? Joe, I did notice that Tanner's OPS dropped about 100 points from his sophomore to junior year. Was there anything to that or do you view that as more of a fluky thing? And do you think he has the potential to hit at the big league level? I think it was a combination of fluky season. A lot of things didn't go the way. It was planned at Mississippi State this year. Obviously, like I said, won a national title last year and then really struggled all year this year. I think he got pitched to a little bit differently uh, and and really wasn't given the opportunities to succeed uh, because the lineup just it wasn't as consistent top to bottom this year as it was in the past. Uh, but we didn't have any concerns long term about that. 
we're trying to really evaluate the player and the tools and some of the statistical uh, information is noise, but there's a lot that we do incorporate into our process as well. Do you think if he had had a better offensive season that uh, he still would have been around for your third pick? I don't think he would have gotten our pick in the second round. Yeah. Well played then. You know, when drafting a catcher, what are the, what are the main things that you guys look for? You know, is it receiving? Is it, I wouldn't necessarily think it's calling a game because that can come from so many different uh, people, but is it, you know, defensive, offensive, combination of everything? It really is a combination of everything. And I think we start with the basic fundamentals of, of receiving, how good their hands are, how good their agility is, flexibility behind the plate, what sort of arm they have, can it be a weapon to, to shut down the running game or not? Like you said, uh, evaluating a player's ability to call pitches is basically impossible because those guys aren't allowed to do it at the college level. We did have a couple meetings with Logan. Uh, one in the fall and then one at the combine where we, we were able to pick his brain a little bit, see how he thought about the game and how he would call a game himself. So that gave us a lot of confidence in his ability to do it moving forward. Uh, and then on the offensive side, it's it's the basics. We're looking, like I said, prioritizing hit tools and, and guys who have power. You can usually develop the power a little bit more, but you have to start with the ability to actually impact the ball. How big of a difference is college, say, at the SEC level to, uh, like, low A ball? Uh, the SEC is very good baseball, but it's not pro ball. Uh, they, they like to say it's double A. It's not close. Minor league baseball and professional baseball at all levels is every day. It is from February through October. Uh, it's a different level of commitment. It's a different level of ability in your own dugout and in the opposing dugout. You can, you can get through a college season with, with a shorter staff, shorter roster, uh, and still be very competitive at the highest levels. Uh, to do that in the minor leagues, you need one through 25, and you need to be able to do it every single day because it's, it's a long haul and it's about consistency and, and being the same guy every day you show up at the park. So, yeah, I mean, obviously you guys, like everybody that you took this year, is there anybody that, um, you know, maybe a little bit lower in the draft that was taken that, that you kind of have, you know, your own eye on or – you guys have a little bit of chatter about our guys. I mean, everyone loves their draft two days after the draft happens and it takes a long time to actually figure out how good a job we did, but our guys are excited about a lot of the players. We were able to pick Zach Maxwell college pitcher from Georgia tech, big body, big arm. He's been up to a hundred miles an hour. We've seen him in a starting role and we've seen him in a relieving role. Truthfully, it's not far off from the profile of Graham Ashcraft when he came out of college. It's not far from Joel Kuno when he came out of college. Like there are big leaguers that are doing things for us right now in Cincinnati that he could compare to. Uh, Trey Faltini, the shortstop at Texas that we were able to select. Athletic kid, can play shortstop. Needs to cut down on some of the swing and miss in his game, but he has the tools and he has power. Uh, we think we can make some mechanical adjustments that will help him out reaching the ceiling. Uh, there are obviously a bunch more, but, but those were two of them that, you know, not way up at the top of the draft, but guys that we're pretty excited about adding. Joe, I'm going to ask you to take us a little bit behind the curtain, if you don't mind. Who is a player from a previous draft that maybe the Reds were close to drafting or someone that you scouted that you really liked uh, that for whatever reason uh, the Reds just couldn't get that uh, really stings or, or really keeps you up at night? Nothing that keeps me up at night uh, because... I think it's important for all the guys on our staff to understand this is a collective effort. We're really not trying to assign credit or blame to one person in the process. This is all of us coming together 
to make the best uh, picks for the organization. One of the ones from early on in my time as an area scout, Mike Miner went with the seventh pick in the country. We had the eighth pick. Uh, it was my second year as a scout. I thought there was an opportunity. I was going to go get the first rounder. Uh, and obviously he went one pick in front of our slot. He was in consideration if he had gotten to eight. Obviously we got Mike Leak. Ended up being a tremendous success for for us with him going straight to the big leagues. I don't think uh, Chris Buckley would have done anything different with how that played out. But they're always close calls, uh, and, and you want to get the guys. But at the end of the day, it's about getting the best players for the whole organization, and that's what helps everyone. My last question is, like, after your first draft, without giving away too much information, any of the any of the secrets, what what kind of is your philosophy for for building a you know a minor league system and you know, future big leaguers? I really don't think it's too tricky. Building from up the middle and going to starting pitching profiles, uh, really weighing things towards hit tools and pitchability because we think we can develop the power components of the game if it's velocity or power as a batter. We can develop those a little bit more effectively at the minor league level than some of the other components. So finding guys that are going to work in our minor league system, understanding who we develop the best, and getting those players the best opportunity to hit their potential. Joe, it has obviously been a difficult year for the Reds at the big league level. Uh, Reds fans are just desperate for a winner, for some uh, postseason success. What would it mean to you personally to be a part of the Reds turning things around and finally breaking through, having some postseason success, and maybe even winning the World Series one day? What would that mean to you? That would be tremendous. One of the best days I've had at the ballpark was actually just bringing my family there in 2010 when Jay Bruce hit the walk-off home run, just the random night that that we went as a family and, and seeing that and knowing how long I've been here, the work that's gone in, um, and the great people that I've worked with. Uh, Nick Crawl hired me as an intern in 2005. Uh, a lot of the people that that are here, Jeff Graupe, Sam Grossman, Rob Coughlin, all those guys went through that internship process as well and are big parts of putting a winning team on the field. And, and I know how hard people here are working at it and how much people want to win uh, for the city, for the fans, and, and for the people that have put in all the time. Uh, it, it, would be, it would be pretty significant to be a part of uh, putting that next championship team on the field for the Reds. So that's what that's what our guys are all working towards. Oh, so I lied. One last question. So who do I need to get in contact with to um, talk who left me off the 40, man, left me unprotected in 2007? Uh, that's a great seven. question. We usually blame <laughs> stuff like that on Jeff Graupe, uh, but he wouldn't have been in the position at that point. Um, 2007, we might be going all the way back to uh, – Oh, let's see. We'll, we'll blame Wayne Cribs here, Walt Jockety, for that one. So the next time you bump into those guys, you can you can say say something to them. Perfect. Thank you. But I did, all joking aside, Wayne gave me my first full time job in the uh, in the game, and Walt was a tremendous mentor for this entire organization. So don't go too hard on him. <laughs> I won't. Well, Joe, thank you so much for taking some time out of uh, a very busy time of the year for you. Uh, to talk with us and chat with us about the draft. Really appreciated uh, all of your insight into that. Uh, We wish you and your team uh, nothing but the best of success going forward, and we will really look forward to seeing some of these uh, new drafted players uh, for the Reds down the line. All right, thank you guys. Thanks, Joe.
All right, that was Reds Amateur Scouting Director Joe Kutuska. That was so kind of him to spend some time with us chatting about the draft and the process behind that. We will continue to be monitoring the trade deadline as it approaches, and if there is any big moves that happen, we'll try to get an emergency live show up for you ASAP. If you have not subscribed to Late Night Reds Talk on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or any other platform that you listen to podcasts, we would greatly appreciate if you would support us by doing that right now. Five-star reviews are also very helpful to help us continue to grow the show and bring great content like today. Thanks again to our sponsor, Bet Online, for their support of Late Night Reds Talk and the Believe Network. For Carlos Guevara, this is Nick Kirby. Thank you for tuning in. Go Reds! Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.